As you're being seated, if you'll go ahead and open your Bible, we will be in Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 33 today. John the Baptist is one of my favorite men in the Bible. He was in no way a soft, passive kind of individual. He was not the kind of guy that you were going to find at Panera Bread ordering some tomato basil soup with a peach tea. That wasn't his style. He was more of a meteor burger, double cheeseburger kind of tough guy, wilderness kind of individual. And he kind of explodes onto the scene of the New Testament. He comes preaching a message and he's dressed in camel's hair, a a rugged type appearance. If he were dressed in modern clothing, he might have been wearing camouflage. And he has an apocalyptic type message. His message is very simply, repent, prepare your hearts, because the Messiah is coming. Well, John the Baptist quickly became a national figure. In fact, his movement was so significant, his message so powerful that even the king of the region, King Herod, had to deal with him and knew him and was familiar with John the Baptist. King Herod, there were actually two King Herods at this period, King Herod Antipas and King Herod Philip. Well, King Herod Antipas, his wife Herodias, the two of them had created quite a royal soap opera. You see, Herodias was very beautiful, and she was married. She was actually married to King Philip. So King Antipas went to visit his brother one day, And he fell in lust with Herodias. And they eventually uh, began a relationship. And Herodias divorced Philip and married King Antipas. Scandalous, I tell you. And John the Baptist said to the king, dude, you can't do that. He didn't use the dude part, but you can't do that. That that is wrong. You You have caused your brother a divorce and you've married his wife? Well, Queen Herodias became angry, and you know how it goes if mama ain't happy. Ain't nobody happy, and so she got angry, and she starts putting the pressure on King Herod, and though he liked John the Baptist greatly, uh, he still had John the Baptist arrested and thrown into prison, and there John the Baptist sat in the king's prison. A year went by. Two years went by. And here's this rugged mountain man, this strong individual used to being outdoors in the wild, sitting in jail. And he begins to have some doubts. Now, John the Baptist believed in Jesus. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Yet he didn't quite understand the concept of the suffering Messiah. He thought that the Messiah's role was political. He thought that Jesus' mission was to come and establish an earthly kingdom. Jesus talked about how he would come and set the captives free. Well, John the Baptist was a captive. Why am I not being set free? So in verse 18 of Luke chapter 7, the Bible says, Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So they were telling John, about all the miracles that Jesus was doing. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, Are you the one who has come, 
or should we look for someone else? And when the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else? Now, John the Baptist was doing something that many of us do as well. He had his beliefs about Jesus, but he was struggling in his beliefs. Specifically, sometimes we think that Jesus' primary message was for you and I to have a more comfortable life. The primary message of Jesus was not political. If you were to pull up Jesus' Facebook page, it would not be full of posts about Caesar. The message of Jesus was not earthy. Jesus often spoke about the heavenly kingdom. He didn't talk about his kingdom of this world. He talked about the fact that he would have a heavenly kingdom. Yet, for many of us, just like John the Baptist, it's hard for us. It's difficult, and I get it. It's difficult for us to see beyond today. And so sometimes we begin thinking that Jesus lived and died for temporary things. In reality, Jesus lived and died for the few things in life that last forever. One of those things that lasts forever is your soul. Jesus was more concerned with the state of your soul than he is the state of the electoral college. And until you grasp the heavenly kingdom, it is hard for you to enjoy the earthly kingdom. As believers, we have to constantly be looking up over the circumstances of this world, seeing the hope that is set before us in, through the portals of heaven. And when we understand that we are ultimately citizens of the heavenly kingdom, when we understand that ultimately we have a destination that lasts for all eternity that goes beyond the life that we live here on earth, that's whenever we are truly free to live here on earth. Well, John the Baptist also began to doubt. And that's something that we struggle with as well. John the Baptist is not the first prophet in the Scriptures to doubt. Moses doubted. Elijah doubted. Jeremiah doubted. Esther struggled with doubt. Many of the great men and women of God have struggled with doubt. And we need to understand there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. There are times where we get so overwhelmed with circumstances where we struggle to think clearly and we find ourselves uh, in a season of doubt. But that is not the same as unbelief. What doubt does is it pushes through, or what faith does is it pushes through those doubts. It pushes through doubt towards trust, towards God. And so John the Baptist was struggling here, okay? I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I've known him all my life, but here I am. I'm, I'm in jail, and I don't seem to have any way out. Well, why am I sitting here in jail? And, and is he the Messiah or is he not? Well, at verse 21, the scripture says at that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits. And he granted sight to many blind people. And he replied to them, go and report to John the things you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, 
Those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. Jesus, Jesus receives these messengers from John the Baptist, and they ask him, uh, hey, are you the one, or should we look for someone else? And Jesus responds to him basically like, really? I mean, look at all the stuff that I'm doing. I mean, the, the blind are receiving sight. In, in the previous passage... He heals a man who is on the way to the cemetery. I mean, the dead guy sits up in the funeral procession. And these guys come to Jesus and say, are you the Messiah? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. And then, and, 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 you know, we, we, we all, when we have these times of doubt, it's important that we remember the goodness of God. When you go through a spiritual struggle, don't lose sight of the blessings of God. Thanksgiving season is upon us. Here in just a couple weeks, we will gather with our families and we will celebrate Thanksgiving. And you know, during this time of year, we, we take inventory of how blessed we are. We begin looking at our lives, at least I hope you do, and you recognize the various ways that God has blessed you. Sure, the kids bicker, they uh, mess up your house. They're 35, and they still bring the laundry home to have you do it sometimes. But think about how much you love them. Think about how blessed you are to have children and grandchildren. Yeah, at Thanksgiving, we have to endure some awful foods like ocean spray cranberry gel this is year three, I believe, or year four on my crusade here, and I hope that you will join me in 2016 <laughs> in moving beyond this holiday tr- tradition of ocean spray cranberry gel. just comes out of that can like a quivering mass. You can see the creases on it, and the expiration date is actually in the gel, and then you serve that to your loved ones. Just say no to cranberry gel in 2016. Now, it's okay to have cranberries, but do the real thing, not that processed stuff, okay? So we have to go through some of those turmoils like cranberry gel, but think about all the wonderful food that you enjoy. You know, many people in the world, they, they, they may have one meal today, if that. You know, not everybody votes like you do. There are some people... Uh, Rioting and rioting and doing things. But think about how fortunate we are to have a vote and to have a voice. Not many cultures throughout the history of the world can say, we have a vote and we have a voice. Life is not perfect. But in Jesus, we have forgiveness for our past. We have purpose in our present. And we have hope for all eternity. And when you are tempted to doubt, I encourage you to remember the goodness of God. God is a good God. And He has displayed the glorious riches of His grace upon you and upon me. Let us take inventory of His blessings and be thankful, grateful people. In verse 23, Jesus said, And anyone who is not offended because of me is blessed. And anyone who is not offended because of me is blessed. 
Now let's zero in a little bit on that word blessed. Do you desire to be a blessed person? Do you desire to have a sense of blessing that flows deep within you? Well, if you're going to be a blessed person, you first of all have to learn to see the goodness of God. You have to be able to see it and identify it. Even though we live in a fallen world, you see the goodness of God. You have to understand that the earthly kingdom is temporary, but the heavenly kingdom is eternal. And then thirdly, you have to trust God rather than the reason of man. There will always be something in life to get offended over. It will always be there. In fact, many people get offended at God. I hear this a lot. People are offended at God. He didn't do what I thought he should do. Oh, well, he, he did do it, but he, he didn't do it when I thought he should do it. And there are many that get offended in society. We don't always see things the same way. But as Christians, we believe that there is such a thing as divine truth. Divine truth comes from God. It is revealed to us in Scripture. It is solidified in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then divine truth is to be lived out in your life and mine. What you believe affects your behavior. Now, this is vital to your spiritual growth. If you want to be a person who is growing spiritually, it is vital that you embrace truth, that you embrace the divine truth of God. And when the divine truth of God collides with the reasoning of man, that you embrace the truth of God over the reasoning of man. I promise you this, the reasoning of man is constantly changing. It moves up and down with political environments. It changes from culture to culture. The reasoning of man that we have in Texas, you can get on an airplane and you can fly to New York City and you'll find a different reasoning of man. And then you can fly overseas somewhere and you'll find another reasoning of man. But the truth of God remains the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Man's reasoning, ultimately, if that becomes your ultimate guide, then it's going to produce an unstable, nervous, fearful life. You're always going to be worried. You're always going to be nervous. Nothing's ever going to feel really stable. You're always going to be worried that the bottom's about to drop out beneath you. God's truth, though, produces a stable, calm, faithful life. You serve God. You seek to bring Glory to Him. And even though there is a lot of unknown around you, you trust Him. You follow Him. And there's this sense within you that somehow it's going to be okay because you are a child of God and He's the King of kings. One of the primary goals of evil is to convince you to be offended by the truth. Now, did you hear that? One of the primary goals of evil is to convince you to be offended by the truth. And when you are offended by the truth, you will be driven by a lie. Because you will reject the truth and you will embrace something that is untrue. 
And that untruth that you embraced will become the driving force within you. In verse 24, the Bible says, after John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft robes? Look, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. And yes, I tell you, and far more than a prophet, this is the one it is written about. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. Then notice what Jesus said about John the Baptist. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John the Baptist is a perfect example of a man who lived by truth. John the Baptist is an example of a godly man. He was a man who was willing to stand up for truth even whenever it was going to cause him problems with the king. In verse 24, Jesus says, what did you go out to see, a reed blowing in the wind? That's not John the Baptist. He didn't change his mind with the crowd. He wasn't a weed that just blew, a reed that just blew with the wind. He was an individual that stood for truth, a prophet. What did you go out to see? Someone who was consumed with money and nice things. So that whenever you went out to the wilderness to hear his message, he would tell you about how God was going to make you richer and make your life softer. That's not what you went out to see, Jesus said. You went out to see a prophet. In verse 27, Jesus says, indeed, John the Baptist is a prophet and not just any prophet. He is the messenger. You see, in ancient times before the king arrived, the messenger would arrive, and the messenger would proclaim, you better get ready because the king is coming. And that was John the Baptist's divine role. He would stand up to the people of Israel and say, repent, prepare your hearts because the king, the Messiah, is coming. The baptism of John the Baptist was a preparatory baptism, an anticipation of the king of kings coming on to the scene. And so in verse 28, Jesus says, There has never been a greater man than John the Baptist. Throughout history, there are these divine turning points. These moments where God shapes the story of salvation history, and He turns it in a new direction or in a uh, different direction. And John the Baptist, I don't think, completely understood how God was using him. He was a bit discouraged because he was in jail. He was a bit discouraged because he wasn't able to proclaim his message, baptize people, and live life in the wilderness that he loved. And he thought that Jesus was there to establish an earthly kingdom. But he should have been encouraged because though he didn't know it, God was using him to announce the heavenly kingdom. God was using him in a far greater way than John could ever imagine. 
You see, the best that John could imagine was only the beginning of what God was imagining. John the Baptist, the greatest man ever in the earthly kingdom, but the heavenly kingdom is so much better than the earthly kingdom that the greatest man in the earthly kingdom is the least in the heavenly kingdom. Remember how you were back in high school? Remember whenever you graduated high school, how cool you thought you were? You had your letter jacket, and you had your driver's license, and you had your high school diploma, and you had a grown-up body. You were on top of the world. And then you went to college. You got a job. You joined the military, and you realized, I'm just beginning. I'm the bottom layer here. Well, the same thing happens when we settle for earthly kingdoms and miss the heavenly kingdom. You see, the best things on earth are the least in heaven. Don't settle for earthly kingdoms when God is calling you to a heavenly kingdom. Don't settle for being consumed with temporary things when God has eternal things to consume you. Don't settle for simply bringing glory to things that will be here today and gone tomorrow when God has called you to live your life in such a way that you bring glory to the one that is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Well, in verse 29, the Bible says, And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. So Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. He was a prophet. He was a man that stood for truth. He didn't sway in the wind like the reed. He was pronouncing the kingdom of heaven to arrive. And when the people heard this, including the tax collectors, the lowest of the low, they heard this and they understood, yes, I have sinned and I need to repent. And so they acknowledge God's way of righteousness. And they were baptized with John's baptism. But then there were also some people in the crowd. Verse 30 says, but since the Pharisees and the experts in the laws had not been baptized, the Pharisees and the experts in the law, they knew all the Bible and they hear John and they see John and they look at him and they say he's an uncouth wilderness man. What possible truth can come from him? Look at all these people being baptized by him. I'm not going to be baptized by John the Baptist. I have nothing to prepare for because I already know the word of God. And so they rejected the message of John. But not only that, the Bible says they rejected the plan of God for themselves. They rejected the plan of God for themselves. Nothing more tragic than when someone rejects the plan of God for themselves. Now, the Pharisees knew the Scriptures. They knew them forwards and backwards. But they missed the plan of God right in front of them. And you know why they missed the plan of God right in front of them? Because it didn't match their own plan. John the Baptist didn't match their plan. The suffering servant on the cross didn't match their plan. 
And so Jesus could heal the blind, he could walk on water, he could cause the dead to rise again, and they would not recognize that as from God because it didn't match their plan. Verse 31, Jesus says, To what then should I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? (laughs) They are like children. Catch that imagery? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. And here's what the kids are calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. We're having a party. Nobody's dancing. We're singing a lament, but nobody's crying. Sunday night in my household, we were invaded by a stomach virus. And so throughout the night, I kept hearing this. Daddy, daddy. Oh, no. What did you do? I got sick. Oh, no. And so it just kind of swept through. Both of the girls got sick and Bennett wasn't feeling well either. And so uh, Sunday night came and went and then Monday I went to work and came home in the afternoon, the early evening, and when I walked in the house, I knew something was wrong because it was quiet. Uh, My house is never quiet, and so I walk in, and and it's quiet, and I'm like, is anybody home? Finally, I I find the family, and the kids are just all kind of just laying around listless. Hey, Dad, you have a good day? Yeah, I had a good day. And there was like no energy in them. They were just, just listless because they, they were sick. They, they didn't care. They were just kind of existing. It was a little sad. to I uh, kind of enjoyed the low energy for a little bit, but it, it, it was a little sad just to watch them so, so listless. And yet, if you look at society, that's exactly how many of us live life. We have flutes without dancing. We have happiness, but no joy. We have lots of stuff, but no blessing. We have life, but no meaning. We have truth, but no understanding. Sometimes we reach a point where we hear stories, stories of great lament, but we do not weep because we have grown numb. We no longer feel. We no longer have emotion. The flute plays, but we do not dance. Please don't live a life where the flute plays, but the soul never dances. Have a soul that is alive. A soul that is plugged into those things which are temporary. Don't lose sight as we grow older with our emotions with our spirit, with the ability to grieve when others hurt, with the ability to rejoice when others rejoice, with the ability to truly see blessing and find the happiness and see the goodness even in a world that has much darkness. Jesus says in verse 33, For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. 
You see, these Pharisees that rejected his message, you know what they embraced? He's not a prophet. He's demon-possessed, they said. John the Baptist, this good man from God, he's demon-possessed. Well, it gets worse. In verse 34, Jesus says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You rejected John's the message, and now... You see the Son of Man right in front of you, speaking the truth and healing people and doing great miracles. And instead of the truth, all you can say is, the Son of God is a drunkard, a glutton, a friend of sinners. And then there's verse 35. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. That ought to be a t-shirt verse. Way to have that in the refrigerator somewhere. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. There will always be those that miss it. There will always be those that see good as bad and bad as good. John the Baptist shows up on the scene, and rather than a prophet, they think he has a demon. Jesus eats and drinks with sinners, and rather than grace, they see a glutton and a drunkard. At some point, we have to decide Am I going to walk in human wisdom or godly wisdom? Human wisdom will always be blowing in the wind because it always changes. It changes with the flow of the news. But verse 35 says, Godly wisdom is vindicated by all her children. We see godly wisdom in the life of God's people. We see godly wisdom in the life of godly individuals who choose to follow God, to love God, to obey His truth, to live it out in our families, in our communities, and around the world. And the reality is, is that the, we are the richest society the world has ever known, and yet most of us are bored. We are the most connected generation in the history of the world. We have multiple devices with us to connect with other people, and yet most of us are lonely. And so my prayer for you today is that you will be a child of God, walking in godly wisdom, and that you will have the deep sense of blessing, joy, happiness, and fulfillment that comes when you listen to the voice of your Heavenly Father, embrace His truth, and walk in godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is vindicated in the life of its children. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads? The musicians are going to come and lead us in an invitation hymn. But before we do, I think it would be fitting that we as God's church have a time of prayer. So with our heads bowed, if you're standing by somebody that you love, somebody that you consider family, Would you just grab their hand and join hands with them as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your truth. I pray, Lord, that we might be people that embrace your truth above all else. Lord, help us to walk in godly wisdom. Help us, Lord, to be able to see truth when it's right in front of us. And not reject it because it doesn't fit our plan. Lord, we bow our heads before you.
praying on behalf of our church family that we might be a godly church family. We also lift up our families of birth. We pray for our children, our grandchildren. Pray, Lord, that in our families that there will be a godliness and a joy. Lord, I ask that as we go into the Thanksgiving and then the Christmas and New Year seasons, that we will truly be grateful. That we will enjoy these weeks. That we will truly have a sense of blessing. Father, forgive us for those times where we walk in foolishness rather than wisdom. Help us, Lord, to trust you in all things. When we doubt, may we push through those doubts in faith. And Father, we know that in the course of time, wisdom is vindicated by her children. So help us, Lord, to walk in wisdom, to display that in every relationship, to display that in our life, so that others might be drawn to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.